Well, welcome to this episode of The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. I'm here with Garrett for another episode. Hi. And we are going to be talking about conspiracy theories and also just about the general idea of how we as Christians discern truth from error. Um, so maybe, Garrett, maybe you can help intro this a little bit from just how did we get here and why is this a topic that we want to talk about? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think as we see where our state of our culture is and our society, uh, we're seeing these things become more significant. We're seeing, uh, in our last episode, we talked about, you know, political polarization. And I think, you know, the tendency is, is at the extreme ends of those polarization, you have potentially, you know, belief in a lot less evidence-based theories about the world around us. But I think why we're talking about it in the church is I think that it can have an impact on how we engage with one another, um, how we, what lens in which we view the world through affects the way that we view God and the people around us. And a really interesting thing that I saw that, I don't know if I ever thought that I would see a discussion like this, but one of my church uh, leader Facebook groups, someone was really cautiously wanting to know if they could ask a question that might be kind of political but they were honestly wanting to know they had some people in their church that were um, believing in some conspiracy theories and causing maybe some kind of community disruption. And they were asking for advice on how to engage uh, these people and how can churches maybe prepare for this trend that we're seeing for these things become more common and also more common in a way that causes some division. Yeah. And I, and I think it's a challenge. The The whole concept with conspiracy theories or deception, obviously nothing new. Um, but it does seem like during this time, during the time of the pandemic, as we talk about so frequently, yeah. um, when we're at home more, we're engaging. And even for church members, there are church members who are engaging online and with YouTube and online more frequently than they ever have, because that's how they're engaging with their church. And suddenly discovering, you know, the YouTube algorithm and mm -hmm, starting mm -hmm. to get things. So there's a part of this that is timely for right now because of the political polarization, because we're online more. Um, and just it, the, the difficult thing sometimes in talking about conspiracy theories is that um, very few people, there are some people that will say, I'm into conspiracy theories. Right. But there's a lot of other people that will say, I'm not into conspiracy theories, but I believe this thing. And so I, I was thinking beforehand, what, when we're talking about this, just for the sake of this conversation, when we're talking about conspiracy theories, uh, you can add to this if you want. I, I came up with four things that I think are marks of what might be termed a conspiracy theory. Um, one is that it's it's a belief that's different than the key story, different than the main story being told by the majority of news outlets or media outlets. So it, it's different, which doesn't mean it's false, just means it's different. Mm -hmm. um, the second one is that you have a belief that there are powerful people who are suppressing the real truth. Mm -hmm. So we're getting this story, but really what we're not being told is something that all these powerful people don't want us to know. Um, the third one is that the true belief is held by a minority of people. Mm -hmm because the truth is being oppressed, and sometimes a really vast minority of people. Um, and then the fourth one is that um, evidence that the conspiracy theory is false is not usually taken as valid evidence. It's often taken as evidence that they're in on it too. 
Okay. Where, and so in a, in a way it becomes unfalsifiable where if you had asked them, what would it take to convince you that this position is untrue? It'd be very difficult to do it because it would just be more evidence. Correct. Yep, he's in on it too. Yes. And so when you take all of that, the odd thing about taking all of that is to say, that doesn't mean that anything that would fit into those four categories would automatically be false, but much more often than not, it would be false. Yeah, adding all those things together, uh, the chances that that is truly what's happening maybe seem rare. The only thing I would add, and I don't think it changes the definition, but it's a shift that I've seen, you know, a couple of years ago, it looked at conspiracy theories and it seemed not just, not only kind of fringe and unlikely, but kind of without consequence. Like hmm. you believe in flat earth, that was a joke, sure. you know, like, like that doesn't affect me. But I think we've learned in 2021 is that uh, they can have consequences and not only can they be dangerous, they can lead to, like I said, the changing the way that you view someone and and respect them or not respect them or changing the way you as a Christian might treat someone because the, the belief that you hold means that everyone else is being lied to, less than, naive, ignorant, mm. f a fool or whatever it is. And that is a consequence that I don't think I've seen as strongly as I do now. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really significant thing to bring up of why the stakes are high on something like this. Because like you said, if, if somebody says the moon landing was staged, um, I would I personally would question their judgment for thinking that. I, I don't think that that's a, there's good evidence to believe that that's true. Um, but I, I would be sort of on my lookout to say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're mistreating people or mm -hmm. that they're gullible in every area of their life. Um, but, but obviously there are things that we can believe that do have dramatic consequences. And part of the challenge here is saying we, we live in a realm where there is, there are areas of doubt, there are areas of uncertainty. And so when we're in an area of uncertainty where we're going to have different ones of us believing different narratives, there's a level to that which is unavoidable. Um, there's a level to which we want to protect against it, but there's a level of saying, yeah, there's probably going to be certain events that we just don't have complete agreement over. But as Christians, we should be able to look at it and say, but we should have a greater level of agreement on the implications and how we're called to live as a Christian in some ways, regardless of these things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, just just if we're, if we're taking kind of both, you know, both sides on this, if we're thinking of conspiracy theories, you know, the, this was, I don't know if it was quite a year ago, but there was, um, there was a big to-do about Nick Cannon, who's a, who's a famous entertainer, a talented entertainer, because on a podcast he had got on and had talked about a theory that would involve two alarming things. One was that um, what we think of as the Jews today are not the actual biblical Jews. Black people are the actual biblical Israelites. Okay. And then the second part of it was that uh, melanin in your skin sort of gave you more of a soul. And the reason why white people had been oppressors was because white people had less melanin, were afraid of its extinction, and really, he even used the term, are sort of less than people with color in their skin. Mm -hmm. Now you look at that and you say, now like that fits the categories of a conspiracy theory. That fits the categories of all of those things. And the reason why it's even more alarming is because it's not just somebody saying, I think the earth is flat. It's, it's saying that would seem to have major implications for how we would interact with one another. Right. Um, and a similar thing, when, when you look at, we, we talked last time about the Capitol um, riots, uh, the, the Capitol insurrection. You look at that and you say, all right, w whatever was going on and wherever people are at, 
we could look at something that appeared to be an implication of a minority belief or a belief in something that was not what was readily being reported, and that that belief led some to something that all Christians should agree is an ungodly response. Okay. Yeah. And so I think there's a degree to which we would say the lie is important or, or the deception is important, but the implications of it are even more significant in some of these cases. I think it's a really good point. I think that's kind of like why we feel like we wanted to have this episode is because, I don't know about you, but I've had interactions where with a Christian and we're kind of talking about some of these things that, that maybe involve some less commonly believed things. And yet we're not talking about whether or not Christianity can speak into that. Like this is such a big thing. So many people are being lied to. So many people are being oppressed. The truth is, is so far lost from the mainstream conversation in media that I'm going to do things that maybe the Bible wouldn't want me to do. Maybe what Christ wants me to do, but it doesn't matter because this is such a big deal. And I don't think that's necessary. If you believe that to be, if you believe those things to be true, I could see how you, you would innately want to respond that way. Or maybe even our sin nature would want us to respond that way. Like you got to do something. This is maybe even in self-preservation. Maybe you think that you're, you're preserving life and liberty and your children and, and your faith. But I think that, you know, we, we had said this at some point, even if these things were true, your response to it would still have to be biblical. Yeah. You would still respond to it in a Christian way. And some of these narratives, the kind of the resolution or the end game of it is some type of response or treating people in a way that is not biblical. And it's like, well, let's just push it aside for a, for a moment so that we can expel the wrong things happening in our society but that's not what, how Christ would have us respond. Yeah, and I think, uh, I, w- I want to say one more thing about this, and then I want us just to talk about the the question of, it, in a world of lies, beyond conspiracy theories, just where we're dealing with deception, how we try to discern the truth. Um, but the thing just to add in to, to what you're saying uh, in all this is that um, we we are living in an age where, um, where as we're trying to discern the truth, it just, it gets more and more difficult mm-hmm. to try to figure out what's going on. Um, and as we're dealing with these things, um, the, the, uh, as you're saying, the implications of how we're going to deal with this and whether it's going to be godly or ungodly, there's a degree to which as Christians, we believe in a pretty profound conspiracy theory. Sure, yeah. Like that, that might fit those four categories right. where we believe right now there is a sinister demon who is, as Jesus said, the ruler of this current age. Mm-hmm. We believe that the real king is coming back someday. We believe that as the apostle Paul writes, our real life is hidden with Christ. We we look like the, the sort of the dregs of the world right now, but we're actually the sons of the living God. So we believe things that are not readily apparent, mm-hmm, that a minority mm-hmm. of people believe, that there's powerful beings trying to keep veiled. So there's a level to which I want to say, I think some of the conspiracy theories that happen, even amongst Christians, may come from a place where you're observing a dissonance and it's understandable that you would be open to the idea that there's an unlikely explanation. Uh-huh. Like even the Nick Cannon thing, I'm like, I, I think it's a horrible thing to believe. And at the same time, I'm like, all right, if there are black people that are saying, I am looking at a history of oppression from white people and you're telling me that there's nothing behind it. Mm-hmm, you can say mm-hmm. like, all right, I think you've drawn a dramatically wrong conclusion, but I understand how you would say, I, I suspect there's something there. 
in a similar way to to which people people on the more conservative side right now that are saying I can't trust anything the media is telling me I'm sort of like I'm kind of sympathetic I understand how they got there right. but it is a matter of saying that doesn't ever justify sinful behavior that doesn't justify us taking up arms the apostles wrote about the idea that we're sort of living out a conspiracy theory right now and the answer was not violence or dehumanization mm-hmm. but shining the light of Jesus in ways that sometimes are are so countercultural I mean the idea of peace and the idea of harmony and the idea of tolerance and love. Mm-hmm. So so we've got all that. And now let's delve into the question, we want to be people of the truth. You know, Jesus said that he was the truth. He also said that the truth would set us free. How in a world where we're surrounded by contradictory claims, do we as Christians try to discern what's truth and what's not? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that um, there's two ways we could kind of categorize that. I think there's is this thing truth? How do I practice wisdom in determining that? And then with the conclusion that I come to, how do I respond? And, and I think that, you know, I think we should be able to, you know, really come to uh, a lifestyle or a, a way in which we, we discern the world that we, we can figure out, not if everything is true, but we, it's okay to, to take some ownership and do some research and determine, you know, what is, what is likely to be happening? How do we practice, you know, wisdom within that? And I, and I think that some people might say that, well, that if all the information is false, that's really difficult. But the thing that we've talked about a little bit, quite a bit in this show before is that you look at the way the internet works and it, it's kind of bred these extreme views because you become in a silo of information and how do you wisely discern between two different views when you're not, you're not actually getting two different views. You're getting a not very likely one and an even unlikelier one. Sure. And so then you choose, maybe you do practice some wisdom and you choose the unlikely one, but then you find an even more unlikely one. So then you choose the middle one again. And the next thing you know, you, you're not really able to trust any anything as absolute truth. And, and I think that, I think we can practice wisdom within that. We can look for ways to make sure that we are open to factual information, you know, evidence-based results, you know, and, and we can discern that for ourselves. We can take that upon us and be, you know, thoughtful citizens and people who can really dig down and deep and, and, and do some basic digging to find out if this information is true, uh, not just following one source of, of information. And, and I think the first step to do that is kind of like opening up your circle a little bit, you know, opening up your sources of facts and your people around you. C.S. Lewis has this great quote where the next best thing to wisdom is surrounding yourself with wise people. So, you know, to me, wise people are the type of people who are constantly thoughtfully considering what might be the true way, not people who are, I know, I know it's, we don't, we don't think everyone is blindly following, but they're not people who, who won't give up, who won't give up position, who won't consider yeah. others point of view. Uh, wise people, when you respond to a question, or you ask them a question, think through all the all the sides of it. And I think we need to start with maybe surrounding ourselves with people who are wise. And I think a lot of what you do on Sunday and your content on social media is that's really what you're asking us to do as believers is is to wisely consider things. There's things that happen in our society, and then you've put out a, a Facebook video and say, I know that you've seen this, you know, you've heard this, You've seen some people respond like this, and you've seen other people respond like this. 
But how can we biblically practice wisdom and come out through a biblical perspective? Yeah. And 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 uh, I want to get your thought on that, but I want you to tie in. I have a question for you because I I feel like you. I want to know. You know, as a pastor, sometimes you get people asking you, Dan, you just got to share the truth. You got to share the truth. Everyone knows what's going on. Um, and there, there's both sides to this. You know, we just need you to to reveal what's really happening and, and share the truth. And I asked you that question. How do you, what, what do you think about that? Because you usually respond with, well, I'm going to tell you what the Bible would say about how to respond. But people are still asking you, you know, man, why can't you stand up for what is true? Yeah. And, and it is, it, it's a challenge with that because I get, I get that instinct um, of saying, well, you need to just tell the truth. And, and sometimes I think the truth is pretty apparent. And so it's easier to come out and say, here's what's going on. But I even think of our role as a church. Our role as a church is not primarily to deliver the news about what's going on in our world. It's primarily to deliver the message of Jesus, the timeless message of Jesus, which then is going to give us the grid. I mean, well, well, first and foremost, connects us with God, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which solves the the ultimate problem that we're dealing with. But then also, as we're walking with Jesus, we get the grid to be able to deal with the, the challenges of what's going on. I think part of the difficulty that we have to come to is to say there are things that, that we have to live with a level of uncertainty about. Um, and I love it. If we're looking at scripture, the, uh, the, the biblical idea for, for Jewish law of two or three witnesses, a matter of being established by two or three witnesses. And, you know, even, and you see this in, in modern American um, sort of law and order, the idea of separating witnesses from each other mm-hmm. so they don't corroborate their stories because it's more helpful. It's more, um, it's stronger evidence if you have two people that haven't talked at all and both end up giving evidence. That's where you start to figure out what's really going on. So I think even just that biblical principle, which ties into our innocent until proven guilty value that we have in American justice, um, which is, it's tough, because that means sometimes guilty people get away with it. But biblically, when you look at it, you say, well, if you needed two or three witnesses, there's definitely people who would get away with stuff, because they would have done stuff without two or three witnesses. Hmm. But there was this value of of saying, we we want there to be ample evidence, especially in a criminal case, and just in general. We want to look at the idea that we have multiple people saying that this happened. So I think that there are times where you can say, all right, best evidence, this is what's going on. But I think at other times, I try to look at it and say, can I live with the fact that somebody who's a part of our church believes this thing that I'm pretty certain is incorrect? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from there, I go to what we talked about earlier with the implications and to say, you know, we dealt, it's funny, it, it feels like forever ago because of all we've been through with COVID, but it wasn't that long ago that um, the Brett Kavanaugh um, uh, confirmation was going on mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. allegations from, you know, from from decades ago that, that came out. I would say, um, none of us, no matter how closely we watched that confirmation, none of us knows with certainty what happened. Mm-hmm. We don't. But I don't think that that means that we can't look at the idea of saying, all right, here's the different, here's the different objective piece. Here's the agreed upon things. Here's the debatable things. And that we can end up coming through and saying like, you know, like I, I have an opinion about what I think probably happened, but I'm living with uncertainty about that. And so I think there's humility in some of that saying, all right, that there's a level of uncertainty. I think I shared with you, even with the Capitol riots, I'm like, 
I am not closed off to the idea that there were some people um, that were a part of that rally who cared nothing for the ideology of Trump, but were just troublemakers. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I think that happens in almost every sort of protest that goes wrong or every riot. There's some people that just, you know, in, in the words of the Dark Knight, they just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> right. And so they don't care about ideology. And so I'm like, I'm, I, I could believe I like I'm open to the idea that that was happening. I'm not really open to the idea that the only people who stormed the Capitol were Antifa people dressed up as Trump people, because just the wealth of evidence that I would need to believe something like that is much greater. Um, so it, in a broad way, I'd say I, I think we've got to look at it and say, what what are our priorities and what what is the kind of battle I'm looking to win? I'm it, Even as I say the thing about the Capitol rights, I'm like, my main battle is not to convince people of what happened there. Ultimately, right. I don't know. I have a pretty strong belief based on evidence of what happened. Um, but I could live with somebody walking through with the suspicion of saying, I think it really was all Antifa people. If they're utterly devoted to Jesus, if they utterly condemn, say, whoever it was, it was wrong about what happened. Um, I think there is a level of looking at the bigger things that are at stake in all of this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let me, um, this kind of relates to what can we do to engage in a world of, of where, where truth is so fluid? It might be kind of a theological question, but but like, what role as believers does the, the Holy Spirit have in informing us? I mean, you know, the first thing that I think of when I'm like, it, it may seem weird to pray after you read an article, but I think of stories in the Bible and like Nehemiah who like prays before he, he goes, he responds to yeah. what God would do. You know, how do we tap into when we're unsure and truth seems so, um, you know, not solid, yet there is, there is absolute truth in God, you know, and the Bible speaks to that. How do we lean in the God and have, have the Holy Spirit like help us discern, Yeah, you know, what, what to think, uh, not just how to respond and how to act Christianly, because I think there's, we talk about that a lot and there's scripture about that, how, but how do we use it to help discern what we believe and where our heart is. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so significant. Um, bringing, uh, looking at this and saying, looking to discern truth and error just in our everyday lives is a spiritual exercise. And and I think within that, if we're doing that, if, if like you're saying, what a great practice to say, I'm about to read this article or watch this YouTube video, I'm gonna pause and pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me with wisdom before I do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think, gosh, what a great practice to, to do that before we're watching a, the news, to do that before we're reading an article. I, I think all that's beneficial. And one of the reasons is because I think the more in tune we are with God, the more open we are to having, um, to coming to a conclusion that our flesh doesn't want us to come to. Mm -hmm. and, and this is part of the deal where we think yeah. about this. Well, maybe the fifth, thing about conspiracy theories that I put in there is often the conspiracy theory that we believe is one that's flattering to us in some way. Yeah. It's like what, what I said in the first John message about the lies that we believe are are the lies that we already want to believe. Yeah. So, you know, if, if I'm somebody that's on the political right and there's a, a theory being put out there that makes people on the political right look good, makes people on the political left look bad, I should just be aware of saying, I'm going to want to believe that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if I'm on the political left and I think that Trump was a, a horrible president and there's a theory out there that almost all of these different things going on are Trump's fault, I should be like, I, 
I'm going to want to believe that one. And so there should be some caution th- uh, with that. I think we're reading through the Gospel of Luke right now, many of us as, as part of um, the church, something that's so striking about Jesus that we it shouldn't be new, but it struck me anew in reading through this is, man, every group that he talked to, he was telling them a hard truth for right. them. Right. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking about the emptiness of their surface obedience. He's talking to the Sadducees, who are so enlightened, and he's saying, you don't know the word of God or the power of God. He's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, where's your faith? He's talking to Peter that says, I'm going to stick with you to the end. And he's saying, no, you're not, Peter. You're going to, like, Jesus mm-hmm. is constantly doing this. Yeah, rebuking. Yeah, he's rebuking, and he's, he's also, he's doing this in a way that he genuinely wants people to embrace the truth, but he tells them the hard truth about them. Right. He doesn't tell the Pharisees the hard truth about the Romans. He doesn't tell the disciples the hard truth about the Sadducees. And, yeah. and so I think we should be in the habit as Christians of thinking, if I am really walking with Jesus, I'm going to constantly be led to believe things that I don't really want to believe because they're not flattering about myself, mm-hmm. that they're correcting me, they're convicting me, they're showing me my blind spots, they're calling me to greater responsibility. Um, I, I remember one time um, my, my wife talking to me about the, the whole idea of just even within our marriage, that any time within a marriage, sort of like the conclusion that you draw is, um, this is something that I don't need to work on. You should be suspicious of that. Okay, you think, yeah. well, of course I want to believe that it's all her fault or for her, it's all his fault. Yeah. So so I think as believers, we, we believe that we have sin, we're still battling with the flesh. If there's uh, an explanation that appeals to our flesh, we should be extra skeptical about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. We should find reasons to discredit it. And if it turns out to be true, great. But but we should be really skeptical of explanations that flatter us. I think most of us are just not. Most of us read the first article or watch the first YouTube video that tells us, yep, that's what I always thought, and we stop there because that's what we wanted to believe in the first place, and that makes us feel better about yeah. ourselves. Yeah, I love it. That's really significant. It it's, it's really is a, a way to avoid these temptations is, is to focus on our faith with God. I used to do, you know, back in the uh, early 2000s, you know, purity conferences with, with, with teenagers. And, and I felt convicted that I, that it's, I would always lean them towards, it's really about building your faith. The stronger, the closer you are to God, the easier it's going to be to understand that these temptations are dangerous and that the sin is not where you want to go. If I just focus on the sin and try to convince you with all these stats about why it's wrong and not talk about your faith or where your heart is, um, it's going to be way more difficult. And it makes me think of if we find ourselves struggling with wanting to believe these things, if we're getting really passionate about them and no one's listening to us, like you said earlier, is that the big picture that God wants you to be passionate about? You know, or does he want you to be after his own heart and passionate about the person sitting right next to you yeah. or your neighbor across the street or faith and, uh, and, and showing love to those who don't know him? And I think that we've been caught up into that perspective is possibly tone deaf and naive, but it's powerful because that's what Jesus did when he was around people who had many struggles, who were in a society just as divisive as ours is now. And God on earth, what he wanted to do when he came down was talk about someone's heart and and where they're at right now. Yeah. And and what I would say, just just for, for anybody listening, watching, 
Um, you know, may, maybe it's just the preacher like wanting to boil it down to three points. But <laughs> it's to say, helpful. yeah, to say if we're looking at this, I'd say, all right, first of all, take seriously the two or three witnesses thing. Um, look at that and say, all right, the idea behind that is saying multiple sources to try to just establish what happened. Not the commentary on what happened yet, but just what happened. It's a good practice for us to try to practice, all right, multiple sources, maybe even sources that come from different sides of the aisle. What, what are they agreeing upon with that? Number one. Number two, we, we got to know our biases and fight against them. Make, make it hard for yourself to buy the explanation that you want to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I say is number three is try to look at the situation and say, um, if either explanation is true, is there, is there still a point of action I'm called to as a Christian that would be true regardless of the explanation? Mm-hmm. Is there a point of action that I'm called to if the election was stolen— that is also the same point of action I'm called to if the election wasn't stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris. There's at least one mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do with regardless. Um, but we're not just supposed to pray for those who are legitimately elected. I'm, I'm just using that as an example to say we might end up saying, um, well, even if I'm right on this, I'm still supposed to do this. And if I'm wrong on this, I'm supposed to do this. So mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. For, for at least there. There's probably a common action to say, regardless of what actually happened, here's what I'm called to as a faithful believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's great. I think we should end there. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you um, for those of you that took the time to watch. We know when we're talking about this, sometimes this is just scratching the surface and bringing up questions that you want to follow up on, specific things or just broader ideas that this brings up. So please do leave comments on this, contact us. We want to continue to engage because we want to be helpful and we want to delve into how we live differently as Christians in this current age. So Garrett, thanks so much. And we'll look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. 